If you're planning on taking a sabbatical for any period of time, whether it's for maternity leave, paternity leave, or any type of leave away from the business, this is a conversation you won't want to miss. I knew I had to talk to Kirsty Fanton, our guest for the 316th episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, about her experience planning for and working through maternity leave after the arrival of her little one, Ollie. Kirsty and I had our babies roughly around the same time, give or take a few months, and it wasn't the easiest of times to bring a child into this world. I mean, is it ever an easy time? No. Kirsty evolved her business during this time despite the harsh reality of caring for a baby during a strict lockdown in Sydney. This entire conversation is a candid one about what worked, what didn't work, and how we can all continue to grow our businesses in new ways as our lives dramatically change. You won't want to miss it. Okay, so today I have a special co-host. I'm so excited to have Brandon Burton here. If you don't know Brandon already, Brandon's a part of our TCC team, has been in the community, growing the community over the past few years. You probably already know him. He's been on the podcast before. Um, But in case you don't, uh, he is a brand voice strategist for introverted experts, a podcaster, a new podcaster with a new podcast, which is very exciting, a father to a new baby, uh, Zion. So part of the reason, Brandon, I'm so excited to have you here is because we're going to talk a lot about babies and maternity leaves and adjusting to business and work, you know, after having a baby. And so I'm really glad that you can add to this conversation. Thanks for being here. Thank you for letting me be here. Yeah, this is, um, it's a exciting conversation. I think this is something I'm looking forward to. Yeah. And how old is Zion now? Um, Zion's three months, which, so we're still in that. Oh my gosh. That, um, yeah, the difficult, blurry phase. Yeah, you are in it. Okay, perfect. So yeah, glad you're even here to do this and have this conversation. Um, all right. So before we jump into the interview with Kirsty, of course, the podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Think Tank. Uh, the Copywriter Think Tank is our mastermind. It's kind of like a hybrid mastermind where you have access to these 25 brilliant writers in the group. Um, I think they're some of the most generous, creative, smartest people, um, and I learned so much from them. So you have access to this incredible room, and then you also have access to coaching. So we offer group coaching on mindset, on systems, on scaling your business. Um, We also have coaching on visibility, and then Rob and I also tackle, you know, just like the regular business questions that pop up off and on. And we provide one-on-one coaching as well in that mastermind. So the reason I'm mentioning it now is because we host three retreats a year in the think tank. And those are the times where we're all together as a group and we can really support each other, connect, learn, and create action plans for our business. And we have a retreat coming up at the end of January in New Orleans. And I'm really excited about it because it's the first in-person retreat we've had for a while. Uh, We went virtual over COVID 
and now we get to finally hang out in person again. So if you have any interest in taking your business to the next level and figuring out what that even looks like, what that could be for you, um, or if you've hit a plateau and you're like, I need to do something differently, but I'm just struggling to see what that could be, reach out to us. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes where you can learn more about the Think Tank Mastermind and apply to jump on a call with our team and learn more about it. And the best thing is if you do this you know, sooner rather than later, you could join us in New Orleans in January for this retreat. Okay, so let's jump into the interview with Kirsty. I would love to just start with the evolution of your business. And if you can just kind of paint a picture of just as a, a quick recap, where it was in 2018, and then where it is today, like before and after. Okay. Oh, big question. <laughs> so I think starting big, we're starting really big. Okay. <laughs> I love it. So I think, okay, back in 2018, it might test my memory a bit, but I'm pretty sure if it is at the point in time I was thinking about I had just either done or was in the Copywriter Accelerator, um, had really hit it off with you in particular. Obviously, I also like Rob, but I feel like you and I, <laughs> I think because we had the chance to work together and you brought me on, you know, so kindly and um, so thoughtfully to a lot of um, launch projects. I think that was the point at which my business was really starting to take off. Um, so through working with you and also through the Accelerator, I changed my niche. Um, you know, I started working with more aligned clients on more exciting projects. So I think I was still doubling in email only copy for a little while in 2018. But by 2019, I had expanded to launch copywriting. And I'm pretty sure 2019 was my first six figure year as well. I think that's right. Um, and Let's just go with it. Yep. <laughs> let's go with it. Let's lean into it. Um, so I think at that stage, so that's right. Yes. And 2019 was also the first time I launched Brain Camp. So 2019 was the first time I went from purely providing one-to-one -one copywriting services to also having an arm in my business where I uh, had a group program, which is Brain Camp, which I still have today. Um, so things are really taking off for me at that time. And I think things are really exciting. I was sort of stepping inside a whole new world of possibility and lots of big questions and what ifs and just sort of understanding what was possible and how much control or say I had over what I could do with my business, which was super exciting. And I always credit that moment and that um, like knocking off of the blinkers to being part of the Copywriter Accelerator with you and Rob, because I think without that, I'd probably still be doing, you know, blog copywriting for big hotel brands and I wouldn't be very happy. <laughs> How things have changed since then. So God, they've, they've changed a lot. So I worked with that model up until early 2021. I almost hit 200K, but I left the business in 2021 for about six months because I had a baby, um, Ollie, who is now almost 18 months, which is nuts oh to think that time has gone so quickly. <laughs> and yeah, I had quite a rough pregnancy with him. So um, that put the brakes on things in my business sooner than I would have hoped. But I did manage to get um, a more passive income stream up and running before I went on maternity leave. And that was with two digital products, one of which is the Mirror Journal, which is a tool for reflective practice. And the other one of which is the Social Proof Sidekick, which is a tool that helps you collect, select and leverage social proof so you can sell more stuff more easily. So my business now, post maternity leave, post baby, looks 
very different and probably more different than I had anticipated before I had Ollie, just in that the only one-to-one services I'm offering now, you know, 18 months after having him, one-to-one coaching and one-to-one strategy sessions are just fine. I don't know if you have found this ever, Kira, with with your babies, two of whom are now quite big, (laughs) um, that I just struggle to find the mental space that I know I need to do justice to big launch projects while also carrying most of the mental load for a very small human. So for that reason, I haven't kickstarted the copywriting services in my business again. So my time is really just spent coaching other copywriters and other business owners, which I love. Um, Brain Camp is also happening again once a year, which I also love. Um, And then I'm really spending all the rest of my time and energy on trying to build out a successful evergreen funnel for the Social Proof Sidekick and also trying to grow my list and build visibility. So I have a podcast with Amy Posner called Business Badassery, um, which is sort of like an agony aunt column for your online business. So people submit questions every week and we answer them. So it's really easy for us. It's really fun. And I'm also about to start a, a limited series podcast with the wonderful Zafira Rajan called Business After Baby, um, which will talk about how business shifts after you have a small human and and hopefully share some insights that might be helpful for people who are either currently or about to be um, in that situation where they are bringing a new life into the world. That was such a long response. <laughs> um, but it's so helpful because I had a grasp on some of that, but not all of it. And so let's start with preparing for maternity leave because I, I've received many questions about this. And most of the time I'm like, I did not have a plan. So I'm usually the worst person to ask about it. So I'm always curious how other people prepare for maternity leave and you know what considerations you make about the business how you think about your offers, how you think about your time. So what was that experience like for you and what did you do to prepare for it? Oh, such a good question. And it's funny because I feel like I'm the opposite of you in that respect. I love planning. I'm such a planning nerd. This is why I love you and I think you're amazing because I'm like the no plan person and I need... I'm drawn to people like you because it's amazing. That's plans are great. We should have plans. But I mean, they aren't necessary because look, you just land on your feet all the time and that's a pretty amazing skill as well. So I feel like there's... I don't know, Christy. I don't know if I do, but what was your plan as you were thinking through it? So my plan, so for a bit of context, my husband and I were trying to get pregnant for quite a while before it happened. So I did have the luxury of having time, but also at the point, at which I was planning, I was also booked out 12 months in advance with one-to-one client work. So, I mean, it could have been problematic had I got pregnant really easily (laughs) and I'm not sure how that would have worked. But what I did start doing was I based every decision I made from the point of actively trying to get pregnant around the idea that I would no longer have such control or command of my time, which is very true. I think if anything, I didn't quite realize the scope of that shift once you have a a baby and you're the primary carer, you know, time is just like you have none. to put it lightly. Um, you know, I'm sure it changes as I get older and already there are a few more windows opening up, but I knew that I had to, in order for my business to still be making money, I really had to find a way to remove the need for me to be delivering services in real time, um, as a way of bringing money into the bank account. So 
that's why I built and created the um, the Mirror Journal, which really was part passion project, I guess. It's something I am just such an advocate of, reflective practice, and it's it's cheap. The Mirror Journal is $49. So, you know, it's not going not gonna to make me millions, especially because my list is so small. But my ultimate plan was to build an evergreen funnel for the Social Proof Sidekick, which is a higher priced digital product and one that has, I think, a wider audience and probably a more ready audience because the outcomes are a lot more tangible than something like reflective practice. So I had grand plans to launch that in a live launch and then build out a really solid evergreen funnel for it so it could make decent money while I was off on maternity leave and would give me some flexibility in terms of when and how I came back to the business. Unfortunately, what I didn't plan for was that I had a pregnancy where I was sick the whole time. So nauseous the whole time, would have days where I would be on a call and then as soon as the call finished I'd just collapse under the desk with a bucket because I couldn't even get to the bathroom so like it was really tough um so that definitely put a dampener on the extent to which I could actually build out that funnel so (laughs) best laid plans in the end I had like the lowest key evergreen funnel in the history of the world set up for that product um but what it did do was it covered my expenses over maternity leave so it meant that I was in no rush at all to come back from a financial perspective um and I would definitely advocate for thinking through what that could look like for you if you're in a position of thinking about having a baby or you're going to have a baby sometime soon just because I think you don't know what your experience is going to be like. Every baby's different. Every parent is different. And therefore, every relationship between the baby and the parent is also different. And I feel like for me, it was good to have the space of not having to come back to work on a certain tight time frame. But it was also really good to be able to dip my toes back into work and, you know, work on some stuff in my own business. So stuff that didn't have the pressure of, you know, client responsibilities attached to it when I needed to because I also found that in the early days like as much as having your own person is wonderful you know and you love them so much I did not love the act of parenting especially when Ollie was little because you know you don't get much back from them in those early days. So for me, work was almost self-care when I first came back to it because it gave me space just to be myself, to use other parts of my brain and to be seen for who I was, not just seen as someone's mum, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes complete sense. I feel like I've, I've clung to my business more during those transitions where I'm leaning heavily and feeling that pull into motherhood which can feel wonderful and give back at times, but that's when I've needed my business more than ever. Yes. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. Can you just summarize all my thoughts and then they'll be nice and crystallized. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to go back to your funnel because it sounds like it, it was bringing in money during maternity leave. So that's attractive. Can you just break down kind of the components of it for someone who might be listening is like, okay, I want to do something similar this is how I need to think about it, especially for people who are less familiar or maybe haven't put together their own funnel before. Yeah, of course. And I should definitely acknowledge that the fact that I've worked in, in launches, you know, for most of my business life means that this stuff is, you know, my bread and butter. So it definitely gives me a bit of an advantage in terms of thinking through how to set up a funnel like this. But I would always, 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 always recommend that if you are thinking about evergreening an offer, you should live launch it first. 
because a live launch will let you test the funnel in real time. And of course, you'll be testing that funnel on what is most likely a more engaged audience because if you're launching something for the first time, you're probably going to be launching that mainly to the people on your list or the people who follow you on social media. So there's some relationship there. So basically, if that launch performs well in that live format with that warmer audience, then you have a really good benchmark for, okay, this is something that I probably could evergreen. How can I replicate this funnel for cold traffic? If it doesn't perform well in the live launch with a warmer audience, it's probably not going to perform well at all on a cold audience. And I'm speaking about cold audiences because when you are evergreening something, the key thing you need to make or to give that funnel a chance of performing is traffic. So you need traffic all the time going through it so that it can make sales continuously for you. Um, so that's the first thing I'd say. So I did live launch a Social Proof Sidekick. I did that, I think it was in March. So really cutting it quite fine because I had Ollie in the first week of May. So <laughs> it was right up towards <laughs> the end. But the live launch performed really, really well, which was awesome. My evergreening process was then really just setting up a lot of those open cart emails that I used during the live launch as an automation inside of my active campaign that was triggered once people watched a workshop, which I then put on my website. And because I ran out of time um, towards the end of the pregnancy and also had no energy and all those sorts of things, um, the only way I actually drove traffic to that workshop was through a PS on my out of office email. And also I had my last post on Instagram before I went on mat leave as a sort of a call to action to watch that workshop. So like I said, super low key. So the traffic going through it was so minimal. But it was making enough sales that, as I said, it, it covered expenses while I was not working at all. So, yeah, I, I, that may not have answered your question. No, that's really helpful. So I didn't know if you were running traffic, you know, Facebook ads, but it sounds like you were driving traffic from your away message and that was covering the cost of your business expenses for those those months that you were on maternity leave. That's right. That right. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. Okay. And now you're ramping that up more. Now it's becoming a bigger part of your business. Yeah, that's right. So um, it was cool because I obviously didn't get that funnel to the point that I wanted to, ideally, before I left um, for maternity leave. But it meant that I had a really good project to come back to um, once Ollie started daycare. So um, I'm currently in the process of testing Facebook and Instagram ads. So I've actually just had those running now for two weeks. The ads are not performing well. But... It's funny because I feel like a lot of people will be like, oh, that's like terrifying and scary. But I'm like, no, this is great intel because I want to <laughs> test and tweak and split test and, you know, do all the things to try and work out what the problem is and, and try and optimize things. Because interestingly, the traffic that is actually going into the funnel is the funnel itself is still performing quite well. It's just that the cold traffic isn't converting. And I think it's actually a problem with the Facebook ad content rather than the landing page, just because there are so few leads actually getting to the landing page. So anyway, it's a good problem for me to solve, but I'm absolutely trying to ramp that up. And, you know, I do have grand plans to have that funnel generate really most of the income in my business or the revenue in my business. I don't know if I'll get there as soon as I would like, but it's something I'm working on and I find it really fun, which is super nerdy. <laughs> I was going to say, you're such a good marketer, you know, with you're excited about running ads so you can tinker with it and optimize. Said like a great marketer. So I love that. <laughs> How did you get to this point where you're looking at your business and you know you want to bring in most of your income through this funnel, you know, thinking really strategically about it? I guess my question is like, 
how do you make that decision and how have you been able to think really big and step back from your business to make these big decisions and think like a CEO? Mm. What is what are the little things you've done along the way or more recently to help you make strategic decisions like this? Oof, another great question. So I feel like part of it is mindset. And for me, I think the biggest mindset piece is that I have always thought, you know, even back when I had first started business and was, you know, not doing much that was exciting, that the purpose of having my own business was that I could build a work life that supported my life outside of work. So I knew that that would mean a different looking or a different feeling business at different stages. And, you know, I think, so having that, having that knowledge and that real strong belief about the business meant that, you know, once I had Ollie and really, you know, I want to have the freedom of being able to spend the time I am not working with him. And I also need to have a business that respects or acknowledges the fact that, you know, my time isn't under my control so much anymore. So, I feel like, especially, you know, the last six months since he started daycare, as you, I'm sure you know, Kira, like oh, he yeah. was sick every other week. So, you know, the stress of having client meetings booked on the calendar was one I just couldn't handle because I would have had to reschedule at least 50% of those. So knowing that and thinking, okay, well, what kind of business will support me working the hours that I can? And also not really being accountable to <laughs> client meetings and those sorts of things while also hopefully allowing me to keep bringing in, you know, decent revenue. What will that look like and what assets do I have or what strengths do I have that I can put into action to support this vision? So for me, being a launch copywriter and a launch strategist, obviously I know that world quite well. So I think for me, it made sense to think about, well, what if I build an evergreen funnel for myself? You know, what would that look like? Because selling a digital product in that way, once you get the funnel working, obviously there's still time and energy involved in making sure it is still working, optimizing things, responding to customer service, et cetera. But I think that's a lot of a, it's a lot lighter lift than, you know, those in-depth long launch projects. So I think that mindset piece was important and also being really honest with myself about what my skills are and, and what they're not <laughs> and thinking through how that could look. I also think too, like, it's important to say that I can't imagine being on the path I'm on now without having done all the work I did with clients early on um, and building up my expertise and my knowledge and my self-belief and all those sorts of things. You know, I think that's really important because that allowed me to establish a name for myself in my niche. Um, it allowed me to establish an audience, a reputation, all those things in addition to those skills that I'm now putting to work in my own business. Yeah, I really like the way that you said that around how the early part of your business as a copywriter helped you establish your self-belief and get to you to this stage. I I feel like I talk to copywriters who oftentimes are building out this second arm of their business, which is around products, or it could be group programs, or it could be many different things, new revenue streams, very exciting. And oftentimes what they'll say is, Oh yeah, but I'm not going to I'm not going to give up client work. Like I'll never stop doing client work. That's so important to me. And I respect that and that is important to some people. But I also feel like there's a lot of fear in that statement because it's almost like 
it's hard to let go of that piece because self-belief is tied to it and there can be many different things tied to it. So for you, was it an easier process to let go of it or did you have to, what are some of the steps along the way to help you let go of that mindset that many of us have around, I need to be a practitioner and like constantly in there and even grinding it out at times in order to continue to build this other side of my business, which is just not true at all. How did you navigate through that? Oh, it's such a good question because I actually remember speaking with you and Rob and again, I think it must have been 2019. I feel like we need like a calendar with post-it notes so I can work out <laughs> work out what we talked about when. <laughs> um, but it was before I launched Brain Camp and I was on a strategy call with the two of you, I think as part of the think tank maybe, and I was debating whether to launch a course that was on the psychology behind high-performing copy, which is Brain Camp, or one that was on um, online course design um, because I also have a background in, in educational design and um, lecturing at university and all that sort of stuff. So that was also an idea I had. Uh, anyway, you talked about that. I remember one thing you said in that cure was like, well, where do you see your business going? Like, you know, how are you going to split your time between client work and, you know, group programs, online courses? And I'm like, oh, 50-50. It has to be 50-50. <laughs> and you, I you, you, you I remember you saying that. And I remember you being like, mm-hmm. and you're like, you're like, well, you know, I don't want to like, you know, squash this idea and maybe it's possible, but I have found <laughs> that you really have to go hard, harder on one. Like you can't walk that line straight down the middle. It just isn't really that feasible. Um, such a wise thing for you to say. I wish I'd listened to you a bit earlier. <laughs> um, but I do think for me, I should also say that that I love that you brought this mindset idea up that you have to have a foot in both worlds, because I also think that that is something I had struggled with periodically. So, um, for example, the university that I taught at when I was a psychotherapist, you had to be a practicing licensed therapist to also teach those subjects. So I feel like that belief is also being ingrained in me a little bit there. And even now, like the last time I ran, ran brain camp, which was a few months ago, I was like, oh God, should I even be doing this? Because I'm not actively writing other people's copy at the moment. Like, am I still qualified (laughs) to do this. Um, So there is still that little seed of doubt there. But I think, you know, the fear that you're speaking to, I think can sometimes come from, like you say, that lack of self-belief, you know, and I think the things I'm teaching in Brain Camp, for example, like they're things that come from the world of psychology and psychotherapy and, you know, there's science in there. So I know that those things are fundamentally true. I know that I'm skilled in them. So it's about thinking backwards through that stuff for me sometimes. Um, I also think sometimes the fear in letting go of the one-to-one client work or project work comes from a fear of around money um, because I think when you do have an income stream in your business that's working well, it can be scary to dial that down in order to make space for something that isn't yet working at that same level. But I think the alternative there is that if you try and keep that project work or client work at that same level while also building out this other arm in your business, you're likely going to get burnt out at some point because the creation of a digital product or the creation of an online course or a digital or sorry or a group program and the delivery of those things does take a lot of time and effort and energy so i think it is incredibly difficult to do both of those things at full capacity at once so <laughs> i think sometimes unfortunately it is the kind of thing that you can only fully 
realize once you get there and then when you're in that squishy corner of having to make a call I think it's sometimes then that you realize ah okay I really need to step away from the client work a little bit if I really believe in this idea of what I'm creating over here and if I really want to see that through to fruition yeah and it sounds like so you made that call pre-baby right that was like I'm going into this this is a change I need to make, that's what triggered it for you or was there a different moment? No, I think that is what triggered it for me. Definitely thinking about what would support life with a small person and, you know, more limited, less reliable hours. But I guess also, you know, having had brain camp and, you know, having run that, I think it was maybe four or five times before Matt leave and, and knowing that people really got a lot of value out of that and also, I guess, understanding that my background in my previous career has given me a lot of really unique insights I guess yep. so knowing that stuff and understanding how to how I could position that into other digital products and offers I think those pieces of the puzzle also helped as well um, they helped sort of justify the decision and give me belief I guess that I could create things that were really valuable and build out from there but I guess I should I should also say like the the challenge I'm up against now and I knew this would be the challenge going into it is that you know for all the years I've been in business up until just before maternity leave, the success of my business did not rely on having a huge audience, um, you know, because mm, I could, yeah. yeah, I could not serve that many one-to-one clients in a year. Brain Camp has always been capped at 20 people or less, whereas with digital products, because they're obviously much smaller investments for customers to make in order for them to have the same financial results from my business, I need to have a much, much much, much, much bigger audience. So I'm in the phase now of really focusing on trying to grow my list um, in order to support this new business model. So also just something to think about if you're listening and you're wondering whether this kind of model might work for you, remember that if you are someone who, like me, you know, has a really small, devoted, engaged audience that has been supporting your business and helping you hit your financial goals really easily, um, the game will change if you are looking to uh, build a business that relies on products that need to sell at scale. So yeah, just a just a side note there. <laughs> yeah, and would would that have changed anything for you in the past, or is it more of just this is where I am today? I didn't need to sell at scale, so of course I wasn't going to focus on it. But and that's okay. Now I need to focus on growing my list. I guess is the advice for people to start earlier or is it more like, you know, start where you are and when you realize you need to sell products that are $27 a piece, then you then you shift. I mean, there's not one way, but yeah, there's not one way. Um I mean, I wouldn't change the way I've come about it. Um because really my business has, you know, historically has worked so well and yeah. I've had such a, you know, great time doing what I've been doing. Um so it's just I think acknowledging Yep. The challenges if you are someone who's looking to make that shift and you have historically made a lot of money from a relatively small number of people. Um, so, yeah, for me, I wouldn't change a thing. It's just this is the challenge I knew I'd be facing and, yep. you know, I'm, I'm actively, you know, trying to solve it at the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about that first piece, how to make money from a relatively small but loyal following for someone who hears that and says, okay, well, I can do that. I'm not ready. I don't need to sell to thousands of people. But I would like to have Kirsty's business, like the first stage of it. What does that look like? What does it take? Does it take, uh, you know, frequent emails to your list, 
something else, your podcast? What do you feel like is the right combination or at least was the right combination for you? Yeah, such a good question. Um, I think really the key thing is reputation because I think for my business models, so obviously, you know, I didn't start there. You know, I think in my first year in business, I earned like 60000 or just under or something like that. Like it wasn't, you know, wasn't horrible, wasn't great, but I managed to scale it up pretty quickly from there as I worked on more and more launches, got really great results from my clients, had repeat bookings coming in, had referrals coming in, all those sorts of things. And I think all of those pieces really are based on your reputation. So what kind of results can you get for your clients reliably? And how are you as someone to partner with on a project? Because I think, you know, if you get great results, but you're a bit of a pain in the ass to work with, I think that that reputation is probably going to reflect that. I mean, thinking through that sort of stuff, I guess it wasn't like I set out with that plan in mind. I set out with a plan of doing the best work I possibly could and improving on my work with each and every project. And I think it was through that, that I got those great results. I got those great reputations and then reputation, sorry, just one reputation. (laughs) (laughs) Many reputations. Many, many for all my different facets. (laughs) So then it was about uh, looking at how I could build in really natural points of repeat bookings into my projects and building out an ecosystem that facilitated an existing customer working with me again and again. So for example, pretty early on, I started including a launch debrief call as part of my big one-to-one launch projects. I didn't charge for that. Um, I actually really liked it for a number of reasons. First of all, because it meant I was guaranteed to get all the data insights and all the results. Um, Second of all, because it meant that I could then use that call to step my client through, okay, what looks like it worked really well, what looks like it could be improved and what suggestions I had for them for their next launch. Um, And if we had a good relationship, which, you know, nine times out of 10 we did, um, you know, it was them on the call who would request to work with me again. Oh, great. Can I book you for that next launch? Like, I'd love to have you do this stuff. So that takes, you know, a client from investing you know, at the time it's probably around $10,000 in the launch project to, you know, booking too. So there's $20,000 from that client, you know, during that 12 month period, whatever it might be. Um, I also added day rates into my services pretty early on too, and they were great. So initially I was just funneling existing clients into those as sort of like a secret backdoor service. So for example, at the end of a launch debrief, if the launch had performed exceptionally well and, you know, the tweaks that the data was telling us we probably needed to make before the next launch were really bits and pieces. You know, I was suggesting if they wanted to work with me on making those tweaks, doing it in a day rate. Um, So tested that service out with existing clients in that sort of really nice, safe environment for a a few months and then launched that publicly. Um, And that also meant that for some clients who were investing in a copywriter, perhaps for the first time, that was an easier investment for them. And of course, if my work with them during that day meant that they had a really successful launch. They then had more budget and then would likely come and book me for either a few more day rates um, or a big launch project. Um, I've also had clients that have uh, joined me inside of Brain Camp. I've had Brain Camp students who have booked me for day rates. Um, so basically just a way of saying that my ecosystem of offers is really supportive so that once someone's in, they are more than likely to buy more than one offer from me. So 
hopefully that sort of helps illustrate that in that way, I don't need a huge number of clients or customers um, to make really decent revenue. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I didn't realize that your launch clients were also joining Brain Camp and then they could also purchase the Mirror Journal. So it's, yeah, it's a really strong ecosystem. That's really well thought out. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Okay, Brandon. So let's go ahead and touch on a few points that stood out to us. Uh, what grabbed your attention from this part of the conversation? It was great to hear Kirsty talk about the importance of doing all the work, getting the experience as a way to then build a business that was flexible enough for the different stages in her life, um, especially how intentional Kirsty was before she got pregnant, creating those multiple income streams, that ecosystem of offers, and then managing the capacity between existing work and the things she wanted to build I know you touched on it but it does feel like something most of us are extremely reluctant to do but yeah this is just such a great example of what happens when you're willing to take that leap yeah and that's I mean that's why I love Kirsty, and I think you can you can hear it in the conversation um, my love for her because I mean not only is she just such a wonderful person but she's so such a great example of someone who is intentional about the strategy and the decisions behind what she's doing in her business and why she's doing it and how it's serving her and even the purpose of her business to begin with. Like, why am I even running a business? Well, it's to support to support my life. And I think many of us start the business thinking that, but we you know, can go astray along the way and it feels like the business is now running our lives. And so she's just been very clear and intentional with her planning. And I think you're right. You can see it in the phases, like the way that she broke down the phases, you could see where it goes from getting experience, you know, as a copywriter and then starting to specialize in launch copy. And then starting once you, you know, feeling the momentum from that and gaining more clients, building a reputation, then she started to experiment with different group programs and then introduced products and then started to cut back on the one-on-one work and then has since built this funnel that can really hopefully support her business moving forward. And it's just, again, like so many phases in a short period of time too. And it's just a good reminder that, you know, it's okay for us to change the way we run our business. It's expected in some ways. And even if it's frequent changes, like that's, that's what growth looks like. And um, she's such a great example of that. Yeah, I think I think um, I would definitely underestimate how much that would change or could change. And yeah, having having a business, I suppose, built with that much resilience, yeah, it seems seems smart. Seems like something that a lot of us could could um, could work on. It also really stood out to me. I think um, I think most working parents would <laughs> would resonate with the feeling of not always loving the act of parenting um, <laughs> yeah I mean I mean especially in lockdown or when expectations don't quite match reality or when you know like the things that bring us energy and joy outside of our kids of course are, are put on hold for a bit I think like, for me it was really refreshing to hear that said out loud yeah it's like okay well I, of course I love my kid or love my kids of course but I don't love parenting every day and so you know and I think it's something that not that we're afraid to say it but it's just not always 
I don't know, it feels like it's hard to admit that at times. And I, yeah, Kirstie just kind of owns it, right? Because it's true, because it's true. It's so, um, and I appreciate that she shared how difficult it was during her pregnancy, you know, how she was sick and how, especially even on maternity leave during lockdown, you know, a very strict lockdown uh, in Sydney, how she, I mean, how she coped with that, because that is extreme during a very difficult time with a colicky baby. Um, and so, you know, she's definitely pushed to her limit. And um, so I'm glad that she was able to share that because we don't talk about that often enough. We kind of just skip over it and talk about how much, you know, the end result or how lovely the baby is, but not that tricky part for, for so many of us. So I, I wonder, Brandon, for you, like you're in the thick of it with a three-month-old baby. Did you do anything to prepare for for this stage, this challenging stage? Like how did how did you approach it? How did your family approach it? So not as well as we thought we did. So we kind of also thought like we need to scale back and just appreciate that. One, this is definitely the very last time we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and and also that like, yeah, it's always more demanding than than you think it might be when you plan it. Um but yeah, that there are days when when it's not only just not easy, but it's it's it's, it's not it's not that that enjoyable. And like Zion's actually a pretty good kid and still is like it's it's hard to run like a business and to like we moved house just before and, and just to 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 get everything ready and and like running and hopefully growing is yeah really tricky so it's it's these are yeah I'm I'm grateful that these are conversations you guys are having on this podcast for sure is there any advice you would give to any parents who are about to go through it you know especially for the first time and um you know what they could do during the first 6 months year 10 years uh, <laughs> um no i would just say don't don't listen to advice like half, <laughs> no um yeah it's just it's so it's so hard to get right and there's so much stuff you'll hear and you'll be told and um and i might work but a lot of the time you are just learning as you're doing and, and each time we've just found the experience different and challenging in different ways so it's just preparing yourself time-wise, um, giving yourself that flexibility and then giving yourself even more because it's almost never enough. Yeah, and we talked we talked about self-care with Kirsty, a, a lot about self-care throughout the entire interview. Is there anything that you've done to take care of yourself and even nurture your creative side or, well, any side of you that just needs needs that care during that difficult stage? I think the only thing that that I focused on a lot more this time is making sure I had time for the stuff I said was important beforehand um because those are things that can quite easily go out the window and you can or at least I can convince myself that it's not that important anymore or that um new things have become more important but um this interview of Kirsty as well is like a really good example of when you set out with intention and have a plan and decide that these are the things that mattered and these are the things that you wanted to follow through with, just making sure that that time is there, making sure that you're um, still prioritizing the things that seem less important when there is a small, cute baby who occupies all of your day. 
Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you've launched a new podcast during this, this time with a new baby. So you definitely are a great example of just like figuring out your priorities and trying, you know, trying your best to stick, stick to them even during a difficult stage. Trying. Yeah. Thank you. So there is a quote from Kirstie that I do want to share because it's, it, I think it captured this part of the conversation well. Uh, Kirstie said, the purpose of having my own business was that I could build a work life that supported my life outside of work. So I knew that would mean a different looking or a different feeling business at different stages. And that goes back to just those different stages Kirstie has gone through in her business and just being very open to all those stages, knowing that that will it will have to change in order to support life outside of work because life outside of work is constantly changing. We also talked about her funnel. So I was really glad we had a chance to kind of dig through and dissect her funnel. Um, anything stand out to you, Brandon, about that part of the conversation around her evergreen funnel? First of all, just the idea and the reminder that to have an evergreen funnel, it makes sense to do a live launch first. I think that a lot of the time we have conversations around evergreen funnels as these alternatives to that live launch cycle. Um, but yeah, really interesting that the lessons you learn from doing it live at least once, um, are, you know, they're worth it. They're worth it. It's worth getting that, that data, that information, um, that feedback, um, before you, before you move it to evergreen. Um, I just generally really admire Kirsty's approach to growing based on reputation and working style. I suppose just, yeah, just another reminder that the quality of our work um, only counts for so much compared to the overall experience of working with us and the way people speak about our expertise when we're not in the room. I think that's, yeah, that's a, a timely reminder for sure. Yeah, it's almost like we know it matters. We know reputation matters, but we forget how much it matters. And I know because I've I've worked with Kirsty on multiple projects. Like she, she really does improve every time she takes on a project. And it's just like it's. I mean, it's the whole idea behind tiny habits and small changes and um, just making an incremental improvement every time you do something. And with her client work. Um, I saw it firsthand, but, you know, she talked a little bit about it. It's like, well, what can I, okay, this part of a project didn't go as well. What could I do with this next client just to make one adjustment that could make it slightly better? And it takes the pressure off because it's like, well, I don't have to reinvent everything every time, but small improvements. And that goes for any type of business model. I mean, even for the copywriter club and our different programs it's like well what could we what change could we make this time to improve it from last time um and that's how you build that reputation over time it's those little changes you can make yeah and I, i'm on i'm on Kirsty's list i know quite a few copywriters who have been in brain camp for example um i think yeah hers is just a great example of what really well-written emails can do for business growth even even to a you know a relatively smaller group of people um Hers have always been emails that other copywriters have kind of talked about as being conversational and reflective and all the things that a lot of copywriters are aiming for. So I think, you know, building funnels and building ways of working, but being really intentional about what people are saying about you and how your expertise holds up and what kind of um, what you're known for. I think that's that's um, yeah a good takeaway for me as well. 
Yeah, and playing playing to your strengths, like Kirsty is, um, you know, she has, I mean, she sells a journal because she is, and we talked about in our previous interview with her about her journaling practice. And because she's so reflective, you know, she's very clear on her strengths and her weaknesses. And so as she approached maternity leave too, she was thinking through like, what, what can I do well? And what will I not be able to do well in this stage of my business? Like, I will not be able to take one-on-one calls because it's, this, you know, the baby situation is not reliable, but I can create digital products and build a funnel because I have that background as a launch copywriter. So I think that's just something that, you know, I need to constantly remind myself to reflect on like what today, my, my strengths and my weaknesses could be very different a year ago or even a decade ago. And am I evaluating it based on today because it's constantly changing so that's, that stood out. And then also, you know, going back to the funnel, I think she had a really brilliant takeaway that stood out to me that she, during her maternity leave, she was driving traffic to the funnel from her out of office email, like, which, like she wasn't running Facebook ads. It was from one out of office email. And that's where she was sending people to the, you know, the workshop and then the whole sequence. And so to me, it's like, that is so, I mean, not to say it's easy, but like, it's relatively easy for all of us to do that. I have an away message up right now. I have a crut, you know, it's, it's a crappy away message that I threw together quickly. And I'm thinking, well, why don't I just rewrite it and send people to a funnel because it's up anyway. So I think that's something that we could all do um, once we have a funnel in place. Yeah, super smart. And I think it's just another great benefit of having really engaged email list that people would send you an email and they'd get out of office and they'd still be inclined to click. Um, I think that's another benefit of doing the work early on. Yeah, it's like, why can't your away message, your automated away message just be a sales email? I mean, like, why not? It could be. Um, it could be a hard sell. I don't think Kirstie's is, but mine might be. Um, okay, so before we wrap, I think one other idea I wanted to touch on is just the debrief call. This is something we talk about frequently in the Copywriter Club, but how important it is to schedule a debrief call with a client when a project ends um, so that you can touch base with them, you can provide additional value, you can talk about future projects, you can pull what you need from the project so you can get some feedback and possibly get some data and results. And that's a missed opportunity for so many of us. So that's something that if you're not doing a debrief call, you you know, definitely consider adding that to your process. I love that you can use it for your own business and for your own, you know, to measure your own results and also to um, book repeat business and to, you know, show opportunities for clients to work with you again. I think it's, it's a type of thing that once we now know can work and we've seen it's, it's almost like a no brainer not to do it. So definitely like that's the thing that, you know, down from this episode, I'm sure. Okay, well, let's jump back into the interview with Kirsty to hear about what surprised her the most about parenthood and running a business. I want to circle back because I want to make sure I get all my questions about maternity leave. Uh, again, because I feel like it's something that we don't talk about a lot, which may be the catalyst for your new podcast. Yes. Um, <laughs> But it's something we haven't talked about enough on this podcast. So to circle back. Okay, some questions. You choose the one you want to answer. Um, and then maybe I'll ask you the other one. 
But what ended up surprising you the most, right? So you had your plan in place, you move in, you have the the baby, Ollie is here. What surprised you that you feel like, oh, I wish somebody would have told me about that or prepared me? Mm. Someone should have helped me. <laughs> in terms of the maternity leave or in terms of trying to juggle work and Ollie? I mean, I kind of want all of them, all of it. <laughs> all of it, all of all the of above. It. Yes, all of the above. <laughs> okay, so I feel like for me, and again, you know, I can't stress enough that every person's experience is going to be so different, but Ollie was such an unsettled baby. So for context, about the first four months of his life, he cried about seven hours a day. So sometimes it was seven hours straight. Sometimes it was whenever he was awake. And, you know, obviously I obviously took him to the doctors and was like, what's wrong? And the doctors, you know, actually nothing's wrong. They checked him out. It's just some babies are really unsettled. Um, I think sometimes they call it purple crying. I think it used to be called colic. Mm. Um, so I feel like for me, if I had had someone – tell me like, yes, you may get a newborn that's really happy to just like be on their back or on their tummy on the floor for like, you know, half hour stints or maybe they just happily sit on you and, you know, gargle and sleep or whatever they do. That is kind of what I was expecting. So I was like, oh, there'll be little pockets of time then for me to like write an email to my list as a really nice creative outlet for myself. Um, But if someone had told me that may be your experience, but you also might have a baby who... (laughs) does not have any chill. (laughs) I would have been more prepared, I think. Um, We were also in lockdown here in Sydney for the first six months of his life. So that obviously also impacted things too, because we could only go within a 5k radius of our homes and we could only um, be outside to exercise. um, And you could only meet up with one person who wasn't in your household. So, you know, it was a pretty rough um, start to motherhood, I would say. So, I think those things as well did impact my maternity leave and my ability to do any of the things I thought I might do just for fun in my business because I'm a weirdo who really loves <laughs> loves spending time in my business. So that really surprised me, I think. I'm trying to think what else. I'm sure there were lots of things. I think too, maybe the other thing that surprised me was people had told me that when Ollie did start daycare, he would get sick a lot. Um, mm, so people had yeah. told me that, but I hadn't fully understood that that literally meant every other week (laughs) like he got gastro after his second day of daycare then we all got gastro and then he got COVID like it was just like literally just constant so I think that was also a shock for me as well just how frequently he was sick (laughs) oh my gosh yeah I think we just forget I I, because I remember I remember going through daycare with my two older kids and it was the same thing but now I just I'm like oh it wasn't that bad it wasn't that it's really bad (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is really bad. But it's funny though, because even now, like Ollie's been well for like five or six weeks. Actually, not no, not that long. That's a lie. Three weeks. And I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. So <laughs> I can understand why people sort of forget about how bad it is. Because as soon as you're sort of out of yeah. the trenches, you're like, oh, it's fine. Um, and I guess a lot of motherhood's like that, hey? Like while you're in it, it feels awful. The bad stuff feels awful. Um, but in hindsight, I think it loses some of its sting. So maybe it makes sense as to why, you know, it's hard to get really honest insights into a <laughs> lot of the tough parts of motherhood um yeah we yeah we forget I mean that's what happened to me I forgot everything which is why I had homework because I (laughs) it had been seven years so I really forgot every detail and I was like it's so easy I can definitely do this again it's just time seven years had passed and I forgot it Um, I also thought I was going to with my first with Harper 
I thought I was going to take up a new hobby on maternity leave. <laughs> I bought paints. I thought I was going to get back into painting on maternity leave. I wish somebody had been like, no, 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 no. That's, you're not going to have time to do that. It's really cute. I love that. have space to take on a new hobby, but. That's so relatable though. I was like, I'm going to start Latin dancing. Like, I don't know why I thought that was a thing I was going to do, but no. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems, yeah, it seems like it could happen. But how did you take care of yourself, especially considering, you know, Ollie's unsettled and crying for part of the day and it's, you're in lockdown Early on, or maybe as thing as you came out of lockdown and things got a little bit better, what did you do to take care of yourself so that you could stay sane, stay healthy? You know, even just feed your creative side, nourish yourself, and especially just providing any specifics so we can pull ideas from you. Mm, sure. So, unfortunately, during lockdown, there really wasn't much of an option. I could sometimes go for a walk or a run, you know, on weekends when Colin could take Ollie. Um, That was it. (laughs) So lockdown was hard. After lockdown ended, it was definitely like, for me, the ocean is where I just get recharged. So walking down the hill and going for a nice leisurely swim, like anything like that, getting outside, um, I think just so important and like you know things that sound so small but I remember we had this it makes me sad to think about we had this list on our fridge of post-lockdown activities (laughs) and like they were so simple like one of them was like sit on the grass with Ollie and look at the clouds because we couldn't do that we couldn't do that so like even things like that after those long months of being stuck without any options just really felt like great self-care and for me I think it was more like physical stuff came before having time for creativity and that sort of stuff was almost like I needed to decompress a little bit. So having a swim in the ocean, sitting outside with a coffee and listening to a podcast like down at the beach or something like so rejuvenating for me. And then over time, like definitely returning to work was self-care initially, 100%. You know, being able to sit down and write an email to the wonderful people on my list just felt like such a luxury and such a joy. You know, Easing myself back into work, I think, also was quite important for my self-care. So, you know, I started back, I think it was the end of February this year. And then my first and only thing on my calendar was launching Brain Camp at, I think, either end of April or start of May. So that was my only task on the calendar, then delivering Brain Camp. So I really took things slowly. And for me, that felt like self-care because... Well, for a few reasons, because I felt like I was sort of starting from scratch again, even though I wasn't. But I think when you have some time off, I don't know if you had the same experience, you kind of come back and you feel a bit like Bambi, like, you know, <laughs> on his little wobbly legs and you're like, oh, what's what's this computer thing do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So doing that and also just being really conscious of not overloading my calendar, um, particularly as the reality, as we've spoken about, of daycare sickness sort of came to light. So, you know, I knew that having lots of appointments or client bookings would really feel like a stressful thing. So, you know, really layering things back in super gently. Um, And I guess as Ollie's got older too, you know, self-care, you know, is a lot more varied these days, you know, dinner with friends, drinks with the girls. I got a pedicure for the first time in my life the other day, like (laughs) little things like that. I know (laughs) I felt a bit bad because my feet are gross. I was like, here you go. (laughs) Please make my toes look pretty. (laughs) Because I want to touch on boundaries, you you know, you were generous enough with your time to come into our think tank 
retreat a couple weeks ago and talk about boundaries. I think you're one of the best people to talk about boundaries. And you connected the pieces for me as you were talking through that session because of your background in psychology and as a counselor, boundaries is such a big part of the work that you did. I never connected the dots that that's part of what you bring into copywriting and into this business. And that's part of why it's your superpower. So that really clicked for me. I guess I would love to hear maybe one of your top tips for setting boundaries for anyone who might be listening and just knows that they struggle with boundaries. They're listening to you and they're loving what they hear, even about easing in, you know, making sure that you protect your time and energy, but it's just a struggle for them. Where could they start? Yeah, such a good question. So, I mean, I think the best place to start with boundaries is always to pause and reflect and ask yourself, what are the conditions you need to do your best work? Um, and I think the reason boundaries are so important is because um, when, when your boundaries are a bit lax or they're bleeding or, you know, they're getting trampled upon, because you're the tool through which all your work is done, the output that you generate is going to suffer. So I think if you can start thinking about it, about boundaries as a way to really help you generate and create your best work, I think for a lot of people that makes you more likely to actually – um, hold up or respect your own boundaries because you can see the direct uh, result of those. And you can also think about how that impacts your clients for the better, right? Because if you're someone who's well-rested, well-protected, um, all those sorts of things, you know, they're going to get a lot better quality work from you. So with that in mind, you know, have a think about what makes a day or a week or a project, whatever point in time makes sense for your business, what makes that feel really good for you? Like what makes that feel great to roll around in? Is it that you have really clear points of communication? Is it that you actually have a couple of hours of the day to get outside and go for a walk or catch up with friends or something else entirely? Is it that, you know, things finish reliably on time at the end of the day or whatever that might be. Um, you can also find your way to boundaries and what you might need by asking the other questions. So what makes what makes a project feel uncomfortable or unsuccessful or what makes a week feel like one you just don't want to have again? So building a picture of the kinds of influences that really dictate how you feel as you go about your day or your week or your work and once you have pinpointed them, Picking one, anyone, it can be the smallest thing and just experimenting with what it looks like to honour that boundary for a fortnight. Um, I think starting small, taking all as an experiment and really keeping in mind that, you know, holding this boundary isn't just serving you, but it's also serving the people you serve because it means that they're able to get um, better work out of you as a result. Yeah, and I really respect how intentional you are with your boundaries and also with how you think strategically about your business. I mean, even going back to just thinking through, okay, well, I want to shift how I operate in the model of my business so it serves my life. So I'm going to you know, build out this funnel and I'm going to scale and focus on visibility. And so I'm just curious how you set aside time for that big picture thinking in your in your business? Is it something that you're just, you're creating space in your life to swim in the ocean and allowing thoughts to come in? Or are you scheduling time 
you know, we, you know, oftentimes we talk about CEO time and your schedule where you're sitting down and answering specific questions or working through any type of framework to think strategically and to kind of get out of the day-to-day of life and business. Oh, another great question. So it's funny because I actually think before I had Ollie, it was more your first suggestion. So it was, you know, I would have thoughts that would come while I was running or swimming or even in the shower or like even I'd wake up sometimes at 2am and be like, oh, that's a good idea. Like, let's remember that in the morning, Kirsty, when you get up. (laughs) But these days, I think my brain space is just full of so many Ollie related things that I need to be more intentional about setting aside time for that big picture stuff. And I actually have, if anyone's interested, the Mirror Journal is all about this sort of stuff. So it gives you really great prompts for very relatable business situations. So, you know, when things aren't working at the start of a project, at the end of a project, when you're trying to land on a price, um, when you have a big opportunity, all these sorts of things. So for me, like setting aside time to actually go through some of those prompts and look at what comes out and then set the course ahead based on what I'm feeling, what I'm wanting my business to look and and feel like, you know, six, 12 months from now, that's really important to me. So I tend to do that. I'd love to say every quarter, but it's more like every four-ish months. So it's not like, <laughs> not a super time-based activity. It's more just important that I know where I'm headed and I'm always checking in as to where I am on that journey. Because I think without that reflective practice and without that perspective, it's very easy to get moved off course, either by yourself or by opportunities that might seem really great, but don't actually help you get to the place you really want to go to. Um, So yeah, that's, that's how it looks for me at the moment. And you mentioned, you know, you're working on list growth, visibility. Um, What does that look like when you, when you sit down to work on it? How does that break down for you when you're thinking about growing and um, increasing your reach so you can scale your your offer? Yeah. So for me, one thing I always advocate thinking about is the assets you, you have already to work with. Um, because yes, you know, for me, part of the list growth is uh, using paid traffic. So as I said, I'm experimenting with Facebook ads, et cetera, at the moment. But I'm also wanting to strategically think about the assets I already have in place and how I can use those to help reach my goals. Um, so as an example, that might hopefully help um, bring this to life a little bit. Um, the podcast I do with Amy Posner, Business Badassery, um, really has just been something fun that Amy and I have done, but we've done more than 100 episodes now. So we're like, oh, you know, and we have really actually quite good listener stats. Um, we often get a lot of really good reviews, etc. cetera. Um, we obviously get um, lots of questions. So we have lots of things to tackle each week. So it is successful. But what I think we haven't done with that is used it as a tool to grow our audience. We're more, I think, speaking to people who are already um, in one of our circles. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was a slight, I think, list growth at the beginning of that where people who knew Amy but didn't know me discovered me and those who vibed with me, you know, joined my list, followed me on Instagram, whatever that might be, and and vice versa for Amy. Um, But now it's thinking about, okay, well, how can we leverage that asset to actually help both of us grow our audiences? Because Amy is also in a place where that's something that she wants to do. So what we thought of is um, bringing in a monthly guest to that podcast, because of course, when you have a guest on your podcast, as you guys would know, what that usually does is bring in an influx of new people for that episode, because 
There are people who know our guest, who really like our guest, who are excited to hear them talk about whatever question we're tackling that week on the podcast, who don't yet know myself or Amy. Um, So by doing that, even that one monthly guest, we're hoping that that increases the reach of our podcast and that those people who listen to the podcast and for whom it resonates will then, you know, seek out myself or Amy uh, and hopefully jump on our list. So we also have, you know, little promos that Amy and I run individually on that podcast for things happening in our business. So for free workshops, for example, or whatever it might be. Um, So there are some really direct CTAs that will hopefully bring the right people from that podcast um, into the right places in our business. So that's just one example of thinking through strategically how you can leverage the assets you already have to help you reach a goal you're aiming for. Okay. So Speaking of Amy, love, 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 love Amy. Uh, And you mentioned that you're starting a new podcast as well. So my question for you is how do you think about and approach partners in collaboration with you and your business? You know, how do you kind of assess what makes, what's a good opportunity? What's a good collaboration, especially considering your time is limited and how do you approach those types of partnerships? Mm. So with Amy, I feel like we had quite an interesting (laughs) journey to partnering on the podcast. So um, I actually met her through you guys. So at the first, very first Think Tank tank retreat in, I think it was San Diego, she was there. Um, Yeah. And we hit it off. Perhaps she'd already launched Copy Clinic. I can't remember the the time timelines. Again, we need those post-its on that calendar. But um, I also joined the beta round of her Copy Clinic. So I had also sort of met her a little bit there, whichever order that happened in. Um, and then I hired her as a coach. So we also worked together for about three months in a coaching, coachy relationship. And when that ended, um, we both knew that we liked each other very much. We respected each other a lot. We had similar goals for our businesses and um, similar interests, I guess, and, and similar favorite ways of working. So we actually ran a paid program together um, back in 2020 called Business Badassery. We loved working together, but that program wasn't the most financially rewarding offer for either of us simply because we were basically splitting the profits of the amount that we would charge in one of our own programs that we ran individually. So, you know, in terms of money for time, it wasn't the best fit. Um, But of course, by then we had an experience of actually working together Um, We loved it and we wanted to find a way to keep that going. Um, So that is how the Business Badassery podcast came about. Um, I think the thing that makes the partnership successful is that we both really respect each other's boundaries. We have flexibility in terms of if one one of us is having a tough month or, you know, has just a lot on their plate, the other one is more than happy to step up and take, pick up the slack, um, knowing that that's going to come back around, you know, the next time that, that we need help or we need someone else to take the reins for a little bit. So I think that kind of mutual respect is something that really makes our partnership work. And I imagine that's the same for most business partnerships. Um, And in terms of the new podcast with Safira, a similar thing. I met her through you guys, through the think tank. Um, I love her. Um, She has also had a bub, a little girl, Alara, not that long after I had Ollie. So we're also both in quite similar places in our lives and our business. Um, And as you probably know, I think when you, when you first have a baby, maybe it's the same when you have a second or third, I don't know, um, you know, because they, represents so much of your time and your life it's often also the thing you're most excited 
about talking about. Um, so to find <laughs> to find Zafira also in that space and to know that we would love to create a resource for other people who are about to enter um, or are thinking about, you know, how to enter that space of business and baby together, um, you know, that makes it feel like the right time to launch that partnership, I guess. But also, I mean, you know, Zafira, she's so thoughtful, she's so clever um, and she is also someone who has great boundaries communicates them really well and also respects other people. So for me, I think that's a really key thing in working out who to partnership, who to partner with and, and how that might work and feel. Um, and I guess the last tip is that, you know, as with all business relationships, whether that's a partner or whether that is a new VA or an OBM, I always think it's really good to have a trial period. So you're not locking yourself in for, you know, a working relationship that's going to go on forever at the very beginning. You might want to start with, for example, with Safira, a limited series podcast. We'll do six or eight episodes and, and we'll see what happens from there. So um, yeah, I think that's sort of what works for me and probably what I'd suggest for other people who are thinking about it too. Yeah, you you choose great you choose great partners and I am all about, yeah, just testing it, creating a trial before, <laughs> before jumping all in. Although I guess Rob and I just jumped in completely, but you know, that's, that's how Rob and I operate. But yes, I love that idea. So I guess I would want to know more about the new podcast. Like, can you tell us a little <laughs> bit more about what to expect on the new podcast and anything else that we can get excited about so we can tune into that podcast? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, like I said, we're, we're recording our first um, episode next week. So, at the moment, or everything I know about the podcast is in quite a messy Google Doc. <laughs> um, but basically, we're hoping to create a helpful resource for business owners who are contemplating nearing or navigating motherhood um, as a way to try and close that gap between expectations and reality. Um you know, we're going to talk about things really honestly. We're going to talk about what's worked for us, what hasn't, and hopefully share some ways to think strategically about um, how to prepare yourself and your business for life with a small human. So we've got at the moment, I'm just in our Google Doc now, so I can hopefully give you some more, <laughs> some more um, insight into what the kind of things we're covering. So you know, there are some things I think that are probably quite specific to the time at which we both had our babies. So we're thinking about having an episode that talks about how to operate in a world that's changed on both a macro and micro level. So, mm, you know, yeah. the pandemic has definitely changed the way we work. It's changed the way businesses work and how things are selling and, you know, what support in your business looks like and all those sorts of things. And of course, you know, having a baby also changes things on a really micro level for your life in terms of what, what life looks like at home. Um, we're also going to talk about some of the really unique benefits and challenges of having your own business as you become a parent. Um, so for example, you know, for me, I don't know if you found the same Kira, but the fact that my office is here at home means that I am, I guess, the, the, you know, go-to person if something happens at daycare, it only needs to be picked up, you know, um, because I do have more flexibility with my time. If Ollie's sick, that often also means that I'm the person who will give up my work day to look after him, you know, and of course, you know, there are some really great things about that and there are some really challenging things about that too. And I think that has really, since we've been talking about boundaries, forced me to um, really think about some new ones because not only am I now having to protect my well-being and, you know, my creativity and my energy, but I'm also having to protect my hours that I have to do my work. So, yeah, we'll be jumping into all sorts of things like that and, in you know, in the hopes that it will really be just a valuable resource for people and it will open up 
conversations that maybe aren't being had that openly at the moment. So when is this launching? Do we have a date? <laughs> we don't recording. have a date. Yet. I know you're starting to record. I need a date. I need to know. <laughs> we don't yet have one. I imagine okay. it might be at the beginning of next year, um, beginning of 2023, just because I'm thinking through by the time we record the episodes and get them edited, we have to get like cover art, music intros, etc. I think it'll be start of next year. Okay. So we'll just, you know, chat with the two of you closer to that <laughs> date. As we wrap up, I... I want to ask you about this question, and I don't know how it's going to come out. Um, <laughs> I think when I think of copywriters in the space, you know, I think of um, what you mentioned about your reputation. Your reputation has been something that has has helped you grow your business. Um, it's it's been very important as you've you've built the business and. I think of you as a thought leader in the space, and I know that the term thought leader can be very obnoxious. It's probably better than calling you an influencer, um, <laughs> unless you prefer no, that. It's, no, no, it's better. I mean, I prefer neither, but it's, it's better than influencer. <laughs> or a guru. I could call you a oh, guru. God. So we could go with any of those options or probably some better options. But I do like thought leader most of the time. I think you know anything around leadership in a space can be really helpful and meaningful. And so... My question around this is, um, <laughs> no, I'm really more of a comment. Thank you for being a thought leader in this space. But for the question really is for other copywriters who are listening and who also want to step into that role where you, you kind of move out of just being a freelance copywriter, right? And there's no just in there, being a freelance copywriter. Um, and you want to move into being more of a thought leader in a space, any space. What advice would you give to that person who's like, I'm, I'm kind of ready, right? I'm ready to share thoughts. I don't really care about the title or what you call me, but I want to step more into a leadership role and kind of speak on a different stage in my business. And I know that was a very rambly question, but it made more sense in my mind when I asked it in my mind. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I mean, I, I think I understand where the question, what the question is, but if I'm not answering the right thing, just, just let me know. <laughs> so, I mean, I think, I mean, the first thing I want to say is it's not like I woke up one day and was like, I want to be a thought leader. <laughs> I want to be a guru. <laughs> I think for me, it's more been a process of, leaning in to everything that my life up until this point and, you know, my life moving forward has brought me in terms of perspective and skills and ideas um, that are perhaps fresh or unacknowledged, I guess, in the world in which we operate. So copywriting, obviously, but also I think the world of online business and just trusting that by speaking about those things, I'll be able to resonate with more of the right people because I think that is a thing, right? You know, the more views and ideas and hypotheses you share, you know, it means that you're not only going to attract or resonate more deeply with some people, but you're also going to repel others. Um, and that can be scary as someone who is perhaps more used to just operating in the space of serving clients and not doing so much that makes you visible or accountable to views outside of that. You know, as you've spoken about so many times on this podcast, you and Rob, you know, it's actually a good thing because you can't resonate with or serve everyone. I think one of the 
you know, grounding factors of being successful in business and having a fulfilling business is simply working with the right people. So people who respect you and people who you respect in return. Um, And of course, the more known you are and the more known your views and ideas are, um, the more chance you have of making that happen. So I don't know that that's really a how-to answer, but hopefully it's a bit of a rally cry if you're feeling that urge. Yeah, no, I I really like that. I think it's it's the last part, especially is key, you know, just sharing your thoughts and being known. That's the hard part for many people. So that stood out to me. So as we wrap up, I want to know how anyone listening could work with you moving forward. It sounds like the best way is through social proof sidekick. Where could people go to jump into that? Is that the best way to work with you? What does that look like? Yeah, sure. So at the moment, um, it is really digital products. So if anything uh, in this episode about reflective practice has really piqued your interest, head to my website and click on the mirror journal tab and you can read all about that there and get a sense of whether that is a tool that might help you. Like I said, it's it's cheap, it's $49, but I get such good feedback on that all the time, even in really tangible terms of like, wow, that really helped me now the pricing for this project. So that's pretty cool. If you are looking to understand social proof on a much deeper, more scientific level and understand the psychology behind what it is, why it works and how to optimize it, as well as get your hands on what I think is a really cool survey generation tool. So it actually, you can put details in about your business or the project you're working on and go through and create a survey that you can send directly to either your customers or your clients' customers in order to help you collect really powerful social proof, um, head over to kirstyfenton.com slash free hyphen workshop and there is a workshop there that will take you through how to use social proof uh, and, of course, give you the opportunity to buy the sidekick if you feel like you want more practical hands-on help. Like I said, I do also offer one-to-one coaching and strategy sessions. At the moment, they're all booked out. But if you want to jump onto my list, um, and again, you can do that through my website, then you will get a heads up about when there are spots available. If you would like my brain on your business um, or my brain on your mindset or a bit of both, I guess, as, as is usually the case. All right, Kirsty. Well, I want to thank you for giving me your time again a couple of weeks after the retreat where you so generously gave us your time and the think tank. And just catching up with you. It's been so great since I haven't seen you since in our timeline. I haven't seen you since <laughs> TCC IRL San Diego back in March 2020. When I everything, know. When I just everything went down. <laughs> we were there when, when everything shut uh, down. I know. Uh, At least that makes it a really easy point in our relationship to remember. <laughs> I know. I can, I can remember that one. So, um, and it was just really helpful to hear how things have changed for you and all, all the lessons and insights you have to share. Um, again, I just respect how you, how you move through the world and move through business with, with intention, with your boundaries and, you know, thinking really big and strategically, but also being really realistic about what's possible too. (laughs) I think that is equally important and, you know, oftentimes something I struggle with. So thank you for your time and your friendship. And yeah, I'm just glad that we had some time to finally hang out. Oh, me too. This has been so wonderful to catch up with you. I really miss you. And I wish we could meet in person so we could give each other a hug. (laughs) I know. Hopefully sometime soon. All right. Thank you, Kirsty. 
That's the end of our interview with Christy Fanton. But before we wrap, of course, we want to talk about a couple more ideas that resonated uh, with us. So, Brandon, why don't you kick it off? I really enjoyed the whole episode. Um, but my biggest takeaway was definitely the question, what are the conditions you need to do your best work? Um, I think most of us would say our best work benefits all the people around us or all the people we want it to benefit, our families, our clients, etc. cetera. Um, so it feels like a guilt-free reframe on enforcing boundaries, which I know a lot of us struggle with, like I definitely do. So yeah, that's again, super, super smart. Yeah, what do you do, Brandon, to set boundaries for yourself? So I'd say most of the struggles I have with enforcing boundaries just come with normal day-to-day family life. I don't find it as difficult anymore of enforcing boundaries with clients. And I think a lot of that comes down to um, probably owning the process, like knowing what comes next and why that comes next and the importance of um, what happens if I leave out steps or what happens if I overcommit or things like that. I think a lot of the time enforcing boundaries for me is just around like family life and making sure that um, I am able to show up when I need to show up and switch off when I need to switch off. Um, and a lot of the time when when I have my better days with that is just because I've I've um, been able to shut off distractions or I suppose prepare for things going wrong, which which can happen. Yeah, definitely. And you know, we talked a lot about big picture thinking and how Kirsty's created time for that. Um, this is something that is is definitely a struggle that pops up frequently in our community, especially with anyone who's taking care of family members or friends. Um, for me, you know, I'm always working on it, but I'm excited because today is my day where I have my monthly retreat. And so you're catching me on a day where I'm finally getting back into that, where I just like check into a hotel for an evening and get to think, hopefully think more big picture and allow myself to work on projects that I don't normally have time to work on or just even journal or just like sit in my hotel room or go for a walk um, or go to a restaurant. It doesn't even matter, but just like have time to think because in the day to day, it just doesn't, right. It doesn't, it doesn't typically happen. And so that's something that I got away from when Homer was little because it was just too tricky to do that. But now that he's, he's gosh, 16 months old, um, I'm able to kind of get back into that. And it's amazing how it can recharge you and help you like refocus and figure out what's what's important, what's not important. And sometimes I think it's just helpful just to like crash and watch Netflix because sometimes you just need to do that. You never know what you're going to need to do. Um, so that's how I create space to think big. Um, what's something that helps you think big about your vision and your business, Brandon? So I um so I haven't managed to get to do one of these um CEA getaways CEO getaways sorry I, I think I think I I think I feel a bit guilty about it but I probably shouldn't and it ties into kind of the the conditions you need to do your best work I think that's that's something that I need to remember um I think the times when I am able to often it's just like solitude <laughs> like if I can get time to myself time to myself as in nothing going on no sounds nothing 
Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I think those are the only times when I really notice. And I probably don't recognize that I'm missing those times until I have them. And then I walk away with, you know, extra confidence, extra direction, um, extra ideas that I didn't recognize I was missing. Um, but then, you know, fuel me for at least a couple of weeks until I probably need to do the same thing again. Yeah, I'm a nicer person. I am a nicer mom. I am a nicer wife. I am if I get this time and if I don't, I am not as nice. So I like I, but I get it. Like the guilt is a real thing. I've definitely felt that and had to kind of work through it and it creeps back back up at different times too, right? We all can feel that. Um so that is that is often the struggle with taking any time to think about time for yourself is just the guilt that can creep in. I like that way of looking at it though. Like I'm, I'll just, you know, if, if my kids know that they might like me a bit more, if I can take <laughs> that break, then I think it's an easier sell. So yeah, I like that. I think, you know, once a month, like they're like, okay, you need to go, like get out because <laughs> yeah. you need to do just get away from us. You are too crabby. Um, we talked a lot about partnerships. We talked about thought leadership. Um, I think I had an awkward moment where I was like, Christy, I think you're a thought leader or an influencer. I forget what I called her. <laughs> but I really yeah, guru, I think it was. <laughs> so they call her a guru. But I do I do think that she's built her reputation in a way that has been intentional and has um you know helped her move to this level where people view her as a leader in the space. And that doesn't happen naturally for everyone. And so um I'm just curious, Brandon, like what what you think makes someone or a copywriter kind of level up to that space where they are more of a leader in the space like what what have you observed about that I think thought leader is like the less offensive word for most of us right so all of the thought leaders in our space I think are people who genuinely bring new ideas I think you can build quite successful businesses in marketing and copy without necessarily bringing original ideas or takes to the space Um, and I think there are a lot of people who kind of are able to step out of that and um, put their own spin on things and in a similar way to Kirsty has introduced new offers and new products new business models things that other people can be influenced and excited by and inspired by so I think I think anyone who's doing that no matter their audience size no matter their no matter their the amount of people that know them I think that's 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 a great way to to stand out and consider yourself um, an influencer. That is really well said. So I think we should just end there. That was well said. Um, we want to wrap just by thanking Kirsty Fanton for joining us on the podcast. If you want to connect or grab any of her digital products, head to kirstyfanton.com, which we'll link to in the show notes. If you want more podcast episodes to listen to right now, you could tune into episode 106, which was actually Kirsty's first episode where we talked about her background, um, her story, her growth as a copywriter and the role psychology plays in copywriting. And if you want more episodes about psychology and research and copywriting, you could also listen to episode 268 with Jeff Coleman. And if you want more information about our think tank mastermind you can find details and a link in our show notes 
I also want to thank you, Brandon, for co-hosting with me. Uh, I appreciate you uh, contributing to the conversation and being here with me today. So where could listeners go if they want to connect with you? First of all, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. You can connect with me on Instagram at the Brand Boy Strategist, or you can check out my new podcast at ourchildrens.world. Can you just tease the podcast and like give us a hint what what it's all about? Oh, you know I'm terrible looking like this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the the podcast is for parents who want to create a better future for their children. Um, it's basically a look at current events and how how those are likely to turn out in the future and things we can do to make the most of them or prevent them or bring them forward so yeah it's just people with with kids who think that the world we have now maybe isn't the one they want their kids to grow up in and maybe want to do something about it okay and one one last time can you just i want to add it make sure it's in my phone can you just give us the name one last time our children's dot world all right That is the end of the episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit, please, 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 please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. I don't think we've had many reviews recently. Kind of a bummer. Um, If you're listening and you like this episode, please leave a review. We'd really appreciate that. And we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better, copy and make more money.